in my circumstance, I just don't see a way that my Indian mother is living. I've always thought that she's dead. I'm still certain about that. And so the closest I can get to her is going to Calcutta. It's almost as if Calcutta is my mother. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. And today my husband joins us. Hey, Noah. Hi. So we are the adoptive parents of four beautiful children. We don't just talk about adoption, we live adoption. And here we are in season five. Can you believe it? No, I can't. It's so exciting. If you're new to Adoption Now, we tell stories from all over the world from the perspective of the birth parent, the adoptee, and adoptive parents. We talk about adoption and foster care and the real issues that are happening right now. If you're about to start your adoption journey or you need help in your adoption process, we want to connect you to the resources you need. We have agencies, therapists, and lawyers that can help you. Check out our website at adoptionnow.com. Hey, if you have a story, we'd love to hear it. And recently we have had an influx of people applying to tell their stories. We think that's awesome, but we want you to know that we are reading them and we will get back to you as soon as possible. Hey, good news. We're now on YouTube and maybe you're listening to the story and you want to see the interview or parts of it. You can check us out at Adoption Now on YouTube. Noah, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk to our guest. Our podcast has just grown so much and I'm really excited to be on YouTube now too. Isn't that exciting? And we're international now, so people are applying from all over the world. It's exciting to see what adoption means to so many different people. We have a lot of adoptee voices applying to be on the show recently, and I think it's so good for us as adoptive parents to hear these stories. Maybe not everything applies to your current situation, but some things can and some things will in the future. Today, we have an adoptee from India. She is a writer, speaker, and an adoptee advocate. Reshma, welcome to the show. Thanks, April. I'm so glad to be here. So we met you through Noah. You and him have the same friends he had from high school. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, we have several mutual friends. It's such a small world. It really is. And it's, it was really exciting because when I first saw everything kind of pop up on Instagram and social media, I was like, we've got to get Reshma. And then it just happened. It was really, we're, we're excited to have He you. was so excited. He is excited about yeah. your movie. So you're going to be in Denver. Uh, this week, and you are touring this movie. You're you're showing it everywhere. It's called Calcutta is My Mother, an adoption story of loss, gain, and identity. And we're going to talk about that today, your movie, but we really want to know about your story. And the movie is about your life. Is that correct? Correct. The film documents my first return to Calcutta after being um, away for 35 years. I was adopted as an infant, and the film just documents my first return, what that experience is like for me. It tells a little bit about my life leading up to uh, my return and then kind of how that impacts me and all of the things that follow. That's awesome. Okay, let's go back to 1980. Do you know why your parents wanted to adopt? We're going way back to the 80s. Way back to the 80s, that's right. Um, My parents always planned to adopt. Um, When they were dating, they talked about the fact that they wanted to adopt. They both grew up in Christian homes and um, I think that it was very new in the church at the time still. Um, now it's, you know, very common uh, within Christian circles and many religious circles, actually. But um, they had just always talked about adoption, that it was something on their heart that they wanted to do. Um, they had my brother um, biologically, and then they uh, looked into international adoption about uh, three years later. 
And so um, they initially looked into Korean adoption, but India had just um, opened up or opened back up, rather, I believe. And so um, they went with India. How old was their child when they started the process? My brother was about three, around three when they started the process, and he was four when I arrived. Okay, so he's four years older than you. And what's your story? Did they tell you? Yeah, so I I basically, I'm very brown and they're very white. (laughs) So I have always known I was adopted. It was never a secret in my house or to anyone. Um, It was very evident. So a lot of people will ask me, how, you know, at what point did you realize you were adopted? And it's like, you know, at the same point that I could see that I was brown and they were white. Um, But it was something we talked about a lot in our home. And um, the story that I grew up with was that uh, the story my parents were told from the adoption agency and um, information they received from my orphanage, which was that I was abandoned um, in a Calcutta school. Um, I was left and I weighed about one pound. I was taken to um, an orphanage where they didn't expect me to survive, um, but I did survive. And so I um, left Calcutta um, and was adopted at three months old. Um, At three months, I weighed about six to seven pounds. um, So I was really small. The other part of the story is that initially my parents were told they were going to be receiving an infant named Ruby. Um, And then just weeks before I arrived, they started receiving paperwork with Ruby's name crossed out and my name written over hers. Um, And so they inquired about that. Um, And the information that they received was that Ruby had died and they were sending me in her place. Oh, my gosh. What did your parents say about that? Well, I think they were really surprised. And to be honest, the communication was so spotty and inconsistent that I think there were a lot of questions. And um, I've never really asked them this, but I... I, I kind of, uh, I, I guess I imagine that they weren't really sure about anything through the whole process. Um, you know, they were told mm-hmm. to send clothes for me and blankets for me and that those things would come back with me. And, you know, I never saw any of those things back, um, never saw any of those items, never saw me pictured with any of those items. Um, and so I think that it was just really, it was just a different time. A lot of the communication was done via snail mail. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't emailing mm-hmm. And right. they had a couple of phone conversations, but primarily it was just uh, documents that they would receive. And so they just kind of tried to keep up as they went along. We know about that because when we started adopting AJ, we were on the cusp of the whole internet thing. And our mm. agency was still on typewriters. I'm not kidding you. Like type, 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 ching, type, 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 ching. <laughs> and we were like, could you please email over our information to Florida? And they were like, oh. No, we're like, scan it. They're like, what's a scan? We're like, oh my goodness. So it was much harder to bring home a child when you have to go through the mail and you can't just ask the person directly. You know, you have to write it down and find out. So I'm sure they didn't have those answers, but what a hard thing. How did that make you feel when you heard that story? You know, it was really interesting. I have a lot of um, different components of grief as it relates to adoption. You know, I've had this, really storybook um, childhood. I was incredibly well-connected to my parents and my brothers, um, and I just have had this really rich life, rich, rich family life, And um, but I still have a lot of grief because there was so much loss for me um, and for all adopted people I mean, across the board. How that impacts each individual adopted person is different, 
it manifests in different ways. It plays out in our lives in different ways. And certainly our circumstance and the family that we're brought into you know, dictates a lot of that. Um, for me, I thought about Ruby. Um, I thought about the fact that, you know, that she was supposed to be here and I actually wasn't. It's a really interesting thing. So there's um, guilt is kind of the wrong word, although it's the word that most of us use in this kind of a situation. You know, guilt implies that you've done something wrong and then you, you know, feel guilt. But um, so obviously I didn't do anything wrong, but I do, I, I do have some, some guilt around that. Um, I do have some, some feelings about that. And then about, you know, even about other kids in my orphanage who, who weren't adopted or had other experiences that were different than mine um, as I've kind of become a part of the adoption world on social media and hearing so many other stories that are much more difficult than mine. And, and you know, I it's just, that's just not been my experience. My experience has been so positive for the most part. Now, Noah has not heard the story. You and I did a pre-interview. And one of the things that you said that really affected me, and it's so good to listen to adoptees. It is so good as a parent to say, okay, what, what can I take from this story? And you talked about how you had this loving family, but they never really addressed big issues. But you didn't really even know that they were big issues, right? So you didn't okay. talk to your parents about how you felt being different. Um, but one of the things you said is that everywhere they went when people said something about you, your parents would then tell the story and how it bothered okay. you and it made you feel upset. But you didn't say that necessarily. And your parents were probably innocently just saying, hey, we want to tell you this amazing story. But it made you feel bad. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the things that's really important to note is that this was such a different time. I mean, we're talking almost 40 years ago, Mm -hmm. um, and there's my age for everyone. Um, (laughs) You know, it was there. They didn't have resources the way that you have resources now. And even, you know, in talking about the adoption process and the snail mail and all of that, you know, they couldn't even call, you know, 30 other families and say, hey, what's this like for you? Is this information you received, you know, there was very few families that were adopting at the time, um, especially internationally, and they just weren't well connected to each other. And so adoption today looks so much different than it did then. Mm -hmm. Um, They were, um, you know, or I'm sorry, they did take some classes and some things, but they were very poorly prepared um, because we just didn't have the information that we have now. So Um, Yes, everywhere I went, because it wasn't so common to see, um, you know, multiracial families, um, people would question um, our situation. So, you know, who is this little girl? Does she belong to you? Where are her parents? All of, you know, all of the things. You've heard them, you know, my price tag. Um, People want to know. And I, you know, I mean. I would mm-hmm. think that I'm going to stop being shocked at a certain point, but no, um, no, people, you won't. People never cease to amaze me. <laughs> right? That's so, so true. Um, right. So very invasive questions. Um, I again wasn't able to articulate to my parents that this bothered me, um, and um, that it made me feel really disconnected from them. Um, if you talk for me, if you talk about the fact that I'm adopted, um, it removes me from the family. It separates me. It distinguishes me in a way that I didn't want to be distinguished. Mm. I wanted to be part of my family, and I felt that way. But when other people asked those questions and my parents told my story, um, I just, you know, I felt different, and I didn't want to feel different. I had such an identity crisis. I just uh, actually spoke on this at a conference um, this week, this past week, rather, 
And um, I had such an identity crisis of being able to see myself as an Indian. And actually, it wasn't really a crisis at all. I did not see myself as Indian. Hmm. I saw myself as white. Um, I didn't Hmm. really think about the fact that when other people saw us, they saw my family and then they saw me, that we didn't blend in their mind. We would go get family pictures with all of the cousins and all of the cousins are white and they would, you know, kind of push, put me, you know, awkwardly off to the side. As I got older into my teenage years, they would assume that I was the wife um, or girlfriend of one of my older male cousins or of my brother, Mm. you know, all those things that was, you know, even in the nineties, people still able to wrap their head around the fact that I was a part of this family, that I belonged. And so because they questioned it, I questioned it. Mm-hmm. And I wish that I had been able to tell my parents how I felt. It wasn't that I didn't feel safe telling them. I think that, you know, if we could have done something differently, we probably needed an adoptee or an adoption competent therapist, because they probably would have been able to help me articulate my feelings surrounding, um, you know, those awkward situations mm-hmm. um, that, that weren't just awkward. I mean, awkward really overly simplifies what they were for me. They were terrible for me. Hmm. Did you, when you were growing up, did you have other families that also were in the, the adoption community? Kind of. Um, our adoption agency primarily adopted um, kids from India, and the agency would have these picnics in the summer. But, you know, going back to what I said about feeling like I had an identity crisis, I didn't want to associate with Mm -hmm. Indian people. So we would go to these picnics in the summer. I mean, I would kick and scream probably literally some of the time. I remember crying. I hate the Indian picnics. I absolutely hated them. Um, I didn't want to go to a place where I was supposed to associate with these other Indian kids. The point was, you know, it was great intention, right? And I think it seems to me the other kids loved them. I hated them. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like it. To me, it was this very clear picture, all our white families kind of sitting at the picnic tables together, and then all the brown kids out here playing and bonding, except I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, I, you know, my parents were really in a tough spot, although... Um, Although I didn't put them in that tough spot, you know, I, I I wasn't responsible for any of that, of course. But it was just a tough spot. They really wanted me to embrace my culture and my heritage, um, but I I really really resisted because I just couldn't figure out how to be who you know I couldn't figure out how to be an Indian person and their daughter, the daughter of a white family. It was very confusing for me. Mm-hmm. We hear that a lot. We hear. Yes, we love heritage camps, right? And then we hear, no, we did not love them. So you really have to know your own child. And whenever you are talking, I am thinking of our daughter, Lily, who is Colombian. And, Mm -hmm. you know, our our son, who's African-American, he's like, yeah, I'm adopted and I'm awesome. He just has a personality that is like, everything is great. For, for now, right. right? But our daughter, Lily, she's definitely um, more introverted. Um, she really is very thoughtful. And when you told me this, I was thinking about a time when I went into her kindergarten class and the kindergarten teacher said, oh, is she adopted? And I said, yeah. And she said, oh, I adopted two from China. And so she went to talk and Lily was like being crazy, like loud. And, and I could see that she had a change in her temperament. Uh-huh. So later I said, does it bother you when I, when I talk about you being adopted? And she's like, yes, 
right? She's like totally open. <laughs> so I tried to get her to talk to me and she wouldn't just say anything else after like, yes. So I decided to play Barbies with her. And this is so funny. I would not do this with probably my other ones, but if I play Barbies with her and make the Barbie talk and say things to her like, hey, I'm going to see Ken to tell him I'm adopted. How do you feel about that? She thinks that's so funny. And through that play, she will tell me certain things. Like Barbie will say this funny thing, but then I can understand where she's at. Even if it's just a little bit, she'll not directly talk to me. And that's the relationship that we have is that she doesn't come directly to me and say, I'm bothered by this. I have to like watch her and see how she's changing. And it's so important for parents. And I'm sure your parents had no training on that. But it's so important for, for adoptive parents to be watching each child as an individual and say, oh, you know what? Every time we say she's one pound, she cringes. She doesn't right. like that. And so who cares about the people coming to our table? You know, right. this is not our time to evangelize. We have to think about what is making this child feel comfortable and how can we reframe that so that she feels she feels okay. And that's hard. Right. It's really hard. And I, I mean, I don't blame your parents. I know that in that time, there was just no, um, no education really. So right. I'm sure they didn't know anything different, but how did you process that going into like high school, college? Well, I became more comfortable with the fact that I was adopted and with my story being shared, the older I got. Um, but I, I mean, I still never, I didn't really love it until I got to college um, I think when I got to college, I, I sort of liked all of the attention it got me. Um, I had this powerful story, and, you know, I would hear, you know, things like, oh, you're a miracle baby. Oh, my gosh, you, you must have such great things to do in life. You're this amazing person. And, you know, I would hear those things, and I liked that. So I learned really quickly, you know, that those things go together. I just wanted to briefly touch on sort of, uh, what some of what you said, and I think I, I know you know this. It's, it's hard for adoptive parents to hear that what their kids are sharing with them is very, very likely. I won't say always. I I want to say always, but I'm not going to because it's too blanket a statement. But whatever adopted kids are sharing with their parents is very likely, barely the the tip of the iceberg. Um, It is so hard for Mm -hmm. kids to communicate about adoption. Um, There is just even in, you know, the best of circumstances, um, which I had, it sounds like your kids have a very good, um, safe environment as well. Um, even in those circumstances, for us, the bottom line is we were adopted in. There has been a fracture. It is not the same as having biological children. It is different. That doesn't mean that the closeness isn't there. That doesn't mean, um, you know, that the connectedness isn't there. But it is very difficult as an adopted person to convey to our parents our concerns about being adopted and not be worried about hurting their feelings. Mm -hmm. And no matter how many times we're told it won't hurt our feelings, it won't hurt our feelings. I'm like I said, I'm, you know, almost 40 years old and having these conversations with my parents, you know, as an adult and as a mother and telling them, yeah, I hated, you know, my dad, they feel terrible. You know, they feel terrible Mm -hmm. that they didn't read that situation well. And, um, and again, not to put the fault on me as the adopted kid, certainly not my fault. Um, I'm carrying a lot of burdens because it's, it's very burdensome to be an adopted person. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't articulate that because I just didn't have language for it. Um, and, and those things are really just important to know. It's one of those things that I know is difficult. I'm a mother. It's difficult for me to think that my daughter isn't going to want me to know 
you know, all the ins and outs and intricacies of her heart, Mm -hmm. all those things that I feel, frankly, that I'm entitled to, that I should be privy to all of those things because I'm her mother. So if, if, you know, I don't get to know those things, then then who could? But for adopted kids, there's this whole other layer of, um, of worry and fear. And I don't think that we're always able to communicate that worry and fear. And, and again, even as an adult, I really still struggle with it. You will, um, you know, if you're able to see the phone, and whenever people hear me speak, I, I get teased about it a lot, that it's like, oh, wait, do you love your adopted family? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like you communicated that in the, you know, 17 and a half times that you shared it. Um, you know, it's like everybody always says, geez, you go so far above and beyond to communicate how much you love your adoptive family. And it's like, I do, because whenever adopted people express grief or struggle with being adopted or talk about the hard part, we're so frequently met with this, well, wait, didn't you have a wonderful family? Mm-hmm. And the two really are separate issues. The, the the love that I have for my family actually has nothing to do with the loss of mm-hmm. my biological family and my feelings and my grief surrounding that. The yes. two, for me, are separate. Yes. That so is... I'm sorry, I just wanted to kind of touch on that. No, that's so good. I, like, even as an adoptive father, hearing that is just, it's it's so reassuring to me. Because you're right, it's... April talks all the time about the dichotomy of adoption, right? There's so many different emotions and feelings. And so instead of trying to blend it together and be like, well, you didn't love your family because you felt this way. No, not at all. That's not what you're saying at all. I'm just going to say something that's very risky. I know I'm going to get emails about it, but I think that it's hard for people to sit with two opposite feelings going on at once because I Mm -hmm. think in our Christian teaching we have to feel one way. So if you're sad right. right now, then God will take care of you. Jesus heals you. And now you're happy. And so be happy. Right. Yeah. And it's really, really damaging. Um, I think I was really damaged by that message that, um, you know, that I received from the church. And I, I say this a lot. Adoption is not like lose a mother, gain a mother, lose a culture, gain a culture. It doesn't, you know, one doesn't cross the other out. Mm. The losses in my life stand on their own. I lost an Indian mother. I lost an Indian culture, heritage, roots were severed, a deep connectedness to ultimately who I am. I lost those things. Now, can those things be regained, some of them, um, in some sense to a certain degree? Um, I don't believe fully. Um, I had my, my mom passed away a few years ago, but my mom and I had an incredibly, wonderfully deep relationship. Um, profound connectedness. I loved my mom. She was a wonderful mom. Um, and everything that she was, everything that I had from her, everything that I gained in her as a mother through adoption um, doesn't, doesn't factor into everything I lost when I was separated from my Indian mother. It's the most unnatural thing for mm-hmm. a child to be separated from their mother. Mm-hmm. It's just not the way God intended it to be. Now, it, it happens, and mm-hmm. there are circumstances in which it is unavoidable. Um, you know, I personally would like to see it avoid, as avoided as much as possible. But the reality is, I think just what you said that's so important is it is hard for us to recognize that both of those things can happen at the same time, mm-hmm. that I can love my adoptive family. And, and you want to talk about emails you're going to get. I'm going to say something even worse right now. So brace yourself. <laughs> um, I... So I can love my adoptive family, and I can also hate that I had to be adopted. Mm-hmm. I wish Absolutely. I didn't have to be adopted. And I'll also tell you, it's taken me 40 years to be able to say that. And, and I even, and now i got to pause. 
for a second. It chokes me up a little because I feel like I have to defend that. It's a very difficult thing for me to say that I wish I didn't have to be adopted because I also recognize that everything good in my life that I have now Mm. is ultimately because I was adopted, Mm -hmm. right? Now, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't have also had a wonderful, incredible life had I not been adopted. That's the other big problem we have, uh, particularly in the church and in American society, is that everyone, you know, says, I have a better life because I was adopted. And it's just not true. It's, It's a very different life. Um, but there's just absolutely no way of knowing that with any degree of certainty. Um, it's a completely unfair and false statement to make. Um, I get why people make that. I'm more American than I am anything as far as, you know, my culture, right? I do everything I can to embrace my Indian heritage and roots, but I grew up as an American. And so even for me as an American person, I see it's like, well, it seems like we've got it pretty good, and a lot of other people have it pretty bad. But, you know, it all depends on your perspective. Yeah, I, I mean, that's hard because, you know, when we told the story of Nelia who went to India and she, six babies had died and nobody told her. She jumped on a plane and she tells the story about how she lives in India and she fights for her child. And even though they're like, no, no, she knew that her child was dehydrated and the fight that she had in her, she left her children at home um, here in America and she talks about just fighting for this child's life. Now, in that situation, Millie would have died. She, There were six right. preceding her, right? So we see that and we're like, oh my goodness. But to say that, and I think what you're alluding to, what I hear you saying, is that there's a savior mentality that the world likes to say, oh, adoptive parents saved this child. It would have been terrible life. And we kind mm-hmm. of rest there. And everybody likes that story. That is just absolutely not true. If you are in the adoption process and you like that story, adoption is not for you. I say that very mm-hmm. strongly because... You cannot allow people to make you the hero. You know who's a hero? A birth mother who chose to not abort. You know who's a hero? The child who decided to love you even after being separated and after going through so much pain. They chose to call you mom and dad. That's a choice that they made. I mean, there are heroes in the story, right? We all play this role to try to um, create healthy families, but... To think that, oh, we are the heroes, these children are saved, and not even mention a birth mother or a culture is wrong. And I agree with you in that as well. And I think that education is so, so important. We stop anyone that comes to our table and says, you guys are so lucky. And believe me, we get it all the time. And we say, no, Mm -hmm. we're lucky. (laughs) No, we're lucky. They're not lucky. We're all lucky here. You know, and our kids know that too. We're not here to save you, but your life went in a different direction with us. We spend so much time talking to adoptees. So the things that you're saying are not new to us. Uh, If you are listening to this and this is new to you, I know it's a lot. I know it's a lot. And the first time that I heard this type of conversation, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, wait a second, how am I processing this? Because I have adopted children. Should I not have adopted them? You know, did we take them from their families? And I, I get that question a lot that people are afraid, that people will perceive that they were taken. And, you know, there's so many different stories. I just want you to listen to the story and just take what you can from it and learn that this is a painful topic. It's a great topic. It's a blessing, but it's also painful. There's so many things that go into it. And you know what? I learned the best through a dream that I had, and I wrote a blog about it. Um, And what you're saying kind of makes me think of that is I had a dream that this woman, this very uh, 
this woman who did not have a lot of means came into an agency. She was going to give her baby to me. I was going to place the baby with another family. The baby was eight months old and the baby was screaming and crying and she's signing the paperwork and I'm begging this woman, please raise your baby. I will find the funds for you. I will support you. But he knows you. He doesn't know me. She's like, no, no, I don't. I can't give him the life that I want him to have. But ultimately he wanted her. Babies want their mothers. Babies Uh want to stay in their families 100%. And I was begging and she ended up signing the paperwork and here I am holding this broken little person and I'm a stranger. And yes, could I have given him the best life? Maybe, but that wasn't what I was feeling. I was feeling deep, deep grief. And I wrote this blog about exactly what you're saying is that adoption is filled with, with so many different traumas. And, um, I do believe what you said. I do believe that children belong with their families, but it doesn't always work out that way. But this is the world we live in. And, uh, I am, I'm happy that people are standing up and saying, yes, I want to adopt. I don't, think that adoption is, I'm not anti-adoption, but I, I see what you're saying. And I think other people listening to this can see exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Good. Let's talk about your trip to India. Okay. Um, yeah. My, uh, I was approached um, in the summer of 2014 and asked to be the subject of a documentary that would document my first return to Calcutta. I had been to India previously twice, um, never anywhere near Calcutta. I'd been on a couple of mission trips. Um, And so I'd experienced that, but I hadn't really experienced it as an adopted person who was starting to really get in touch with my feelings about being an adopted person. Um, And so I agreed to be the subject of this film. Uh, The director, Michael Kurtzel, he raised the funds on Kickstarter and we hired a crew. We had people apply from all over the United States to be on the film crew. And we went back um, in the summer of 2015. And the uh, timing for the trip was really great. We were there on the 35th anniversary of the day that I left Calcutta. And so that wow. was really significant. On that day, we went to the orphanage where I spent the first couple of months of my life and um, did some things like that. So um, the whole trip really started out for me as a cultural connection. Um, the reason we named the film Calcutta is My Mother is it came from a conversation I was having with Michael uh, prior to filming. And I said, you know, my in my circumstance, I just don't see a way that my Indian mother is living. Um, I just, I, I've always thought that she's dead. I feel certain about that. And so the closest I can get to her is going to Calcutta it's almost as if Calcutta is my mother. Mm. And so that's really where the title of the film came. And it started just, you know, ultimately as a, a search for cultural connection, understanding where it is I came from, um, understanding uh, what the, you know, they, they refer to them as communities, we refer to them as slums, um, understanding what that life was like, and what things would have been like for me had I remained in India. And um, yeah, it was a really interesting journey. It turned out, far different than what I anticipated. There were some changes in my story um, that I found out about while I was in India. Um, I also stumbled upon uh, this you know, enormous amount of grief that I hadn't really tapped into um, prior. I, I think the grief had started to surface a little, and I think really that's what um, pushed me to want to go to Calcutta and, and um, have it documented. But it uh, you know, came out like um, a flood 
when I got there. I didn't really anticipate that. I was kind of just looking for like, oh, this will be fun. I'll eat the food. I'll do the thing. We'll take some pictures. Um, I'll be like, yay, India. And then, <laughs> you know, I'll come home and go back to my life. But really, um, in some sense, the trip was um, an unraveling of, of who I thought I was um, and, and what my first three months were like prior to, you know, the new life in, in America with my new family. I can't even imagine. I mean, I've spent some time in third world countries. And one of the things you said earlier that I think I've even felt is some, sometimes we feel like America has this Western culture that is the right way for everything. Absolutely. And, and I'm, ex- I'm excited to see this film because, you know, from the little bit of experience that I've had and not even having to try to identify, but just seeing like, just because you're in a third world country does not mean that it's wrong. It doesn't mean that they don't have it the right way it just right. means it's different let's call it a yeah. developing country is that the right way that's the, the right the way term? it's very pc noah oh sorry developing country <laughs> oh, i'm terrible at keeping up with the pc thing yes uh, it's really hard i learned something about this um so yeah i i agree with you that is that's a, a lot of the struggle and i'm you know walking this fine line of not giving away too much because obviously we want you to see the film and and experience it with me in real time ultimately um but that's a lot of the struggle. It's a lot of the reason I wanted to go is because, you know, we are so quick to say that my life would have been worse. I have been quick for much of my life to say that my life would have been worse or less than what it is. And it's just, it's just, that's just a lie. I mean, it just is. It's just not true. It's just nobody has, you know, the ability to, to, to excuse me, nobody has the ability to say that. Um, nobody is allowed to say that about me, frankly. Um, and, and about adopted kids, you know, so frequently in adoption land, there's all this talk that's so, you know, just disparaging about our, our countries. And I think that what's hard for uh, many adoptive parents to understand is that, you know, when you speak poorly of my country, you speak poorly of me because that is who I am. I am my country. That is where I come from. When you talk about that, it's, you know, well, I don't need, I'm not going to go into any of the descriptive things that I hear, but... Or when you talk about, you know, the condition that we arrived in, when you talk about how much we cost, what a nightmare the paperwork was, those things, those are burdens that are heaped on our shoulders. And I really, really hate that. But I hate most of all this assumption that we are living these better, fabulous lives. They are different. I drive a really nice car. Maybe I wouldn't have a car. I don't know. Is that less than? It's just different. And that was my experience in going there. I really wanted to connect to the culture. That was my greatest hope but i think that ultimately it was just good for me to see how differently people live and how um you know how satisfied they are frankly you know people in developing countries have a deeper appreciation and um you know than so many of us do it's like we're just so obsessed with the next best thing and moving along and you know higher up the status quo and it's just it's so interesting to me that that's the focus is so different. The focus is on family. The focus is on being present. And, and we're missing out on that. And frankly, you know, in, in regards to that, we are the poorer country. So are you moving to India? I mean, if I could, I would actually I joked a lot that if I weren't married and, and had a daughter, um, if, if I had done this when I was single, I absolutely would move to India. Absolutely. So did you identify with the culture at that time? Um, you'll see a lot of that unfold in the film. Um, it wasn't in the way that I expected. Um, I think, you know, my hopes were really, really grand. 
um, I don't know if you guys talk much about coming out of the fog on the show, um, but the, the film ultimately documents my unfogging um, because I, I started out this journey as like, I'm the world's happiest, most well-connected, um, most well-adjusted adoptee. And I hadn't, you know, really acknowledged any of the grief or acknowledged any of the things I lost. When mm-hmm. I went to Calcutta, there was just no denying those things. Mm-hmm. And I think where some people, and everybody's experience is different, okay, so this is just mine. I think where some people, Indian adoptees, may go to India and be like, whoa, you know, I, I, this really worked out well for me. That's not what I experienced. When I went to India, I was like, whoa, I, I, I lost a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody's story is different. Absolutely. Everybody's adoptive journey is different. Um, but it's important to listen to different types of the stories, even if it makes mm-hmm. you feel uncomfortable. Yes. Right. I think that's key, even hearing as an adoptive parent. You have to allow kids, you have to allow yourself to feel a certain way, even if it's the wrong way, especially you know, in the Christian or the church circle. It's, oh, you can't feel that way about something because that's just wrong. Mm-hmm. And yeah, not every story is the same. And I'm even thinking of a friend of mine who, if you were to talk to him, he's our age too, but he's not gone back yet. And I, I'm curious to know when he goes back, because I think he will, to India. He was adopted. Mm-hmm. From Calcutta. He was yes. actually adopted from Mother Teresa's orphanage. It'll be interesting yeah. because I'm sure there'll be certain parts that kind of come in alignment with what your story is, Reshma. But then those are going to be parts that are so unique to who he is, because we're all unique, Absolutely. right? Mm-hmm. Let's talk okay. about your movie. So it okay. is going to be in Denver this Saturday yes. at we'll noon. In Denver, yep, Denver on Saturday, April thirteenth at noon at the Oriental Theater, um, and then we will be in Seattle on Saturday, April twenty seventh. We will be in Dallas on Saturday, May fourth, and Phoenix on Saturday, May eighteenth, and that is our spring tour. Where can people view this movie if they can't go to a showing? Well, right now, you got to get to a showing. Okay. Um, ultimately, we will uh, plan a fall tour as well. That's kind of what we're hoping for. Uh, the more tickets we sell, of course, the more likely that is to happen. Um, you can also donate on any of the um, ticket purchasing sites. There's a spot to donate if you want to donate to the film so that we can um, have these screenings. But we will look into distribution uh, as we get further down the road. Right now, we're just in the touring phase, and we will move on to the distribution phase and... Um, it'll likely be available, you know, to screen, uh, or I'm sorry, to stream online um, and purchase and all of those things further down the road. Probably not before 2020. So we encourage you to get to a screening if you can. And how can people get a hold of you? Um, well, everything for the film can be found at calcuttafilm.com. It's the old school spelling. So it's C-A-L-C-U-T-T-A-F-I-L-M.com. And um, you can purchase tickets there and see the trailer and read the crew bios and get everything you need to know there. You can also contact the film crew through the website. Um, I have my website, uh, reshmamcclintock.com. I'm also on Facebook, yeah, Instagram. I'm the only Reshma McClintock in the world, so it's pretty easy to find me. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Reshma. I appreciate your time. Thank you. I appreciate your time as well. Thank you for joining us, Noah. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Reshma. Thanks. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and remember all of our podcasts are available at our website at adoptionnow.com. Thank you for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week.